Good morning. We are deeply loved by our Heavenly Father, and now we're deeply challenged. That's wonderful. I love that. You know, it's, here, here's where I want to start today. We're, we are deeply loved. Because we are so deeply loved by God, we submit. We surrender to Him. We really allow Him to begin to change anything He wants to in our lives. And I don't know about you, but quick, quick, pretty quickly, I found that He wanted to change everything. Little bit by little bit, like everything in our lives, He wants to change. And, and what, what He does in that is He invites us to become a little bit more every single day, bit by bit, just like Jesus. Like He begins to change every single thing about us. Like, when I first came to Christ, I experienced this deep, deep love. Like, I had never experienced this before. And he, he, he accepted me, like, right where I was at. And he wanted to change everything about me. Like, it's not like the way we do relationships today, really, is it? Like, what we say today is, like, well, if you love me, you accept everything I am just as I am. This is how I am. And I'm never going to be anybody different. I'm an introvert. I don't like you. And so, you know, we, we, we just say that's how we are. Like, you've got to get used to it. But what if our Heavenly Father actually knows how He created us to be? And He wants to make us more into that kind of a person. Because He so loves us. And what if that's like the very best way for us to be? The very best place for us to be is like that. And, and, here's, and here's another thing I've kind of picked up along the way. It's, it's not very magical. It's not like I go to sleep one night and then I wake up the next morning and I'm different. I'm more like Jesus. Boom, there I am. Well, I'm such a pleasant person now. No, I look in the mirror and I'm still really unpleasant. And so, bit by bit, I surrender, I submit, and he really does the work of changing me. As Simon was just saying, this discipleship to Jesus thing, it really is an all-in kind of deal. There's, there's a passage out of Luke 14 that reads like this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, large crowds, and turning to them, he says this, which is a really cool way to keep large crowds following you, by the way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Can you picture the crowds going, oh, you know, this was really fun, Jesus. I'm not sure I'm into this. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, anyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus is inviting us into this process of discipleship and change, which will affect every single area of our lives. And he's inviting us to count the cost, to figure out whether or not we can really do this. He turns to the whole crowd that's following him and says, this is going to cost you everything. I want you to think about that. Like, don't go part way with this thing. Discipleship to Jesus really is an all-in kind of thing. And we don't have to be perfect every step, any, any step of the way. In fact, we won't be perfect until we see him face to face. 
But every single day, he invites us to change. Every single day, he invites us to grow. And what I think that we need to begin to think about is that we want to embrace that growth in every single area of life. Have you ever met somebody who is a follower of Jesus, but there's areas of their life that you really don't want to be like? You see some areas of their life and you think, wow, that's really cool the way that they do this, the way they do that. But then when you're with them alone, it's like a whole different package. It's a whole different deal. I think the thing that he's inviting us into is to have every single area of life rearranged. Every, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we spend our money, the way that we exercise our sexuality, the way that we treat people when people are watching, the way that we treat people when nobody's watching, the way that we treat ourselves. He's inviting every single thing to change. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to talk about, about eight areas of life that he invites us into. Eight areas of being a disciple of Jesus that pretty much cover like everything that we are. That he invites us to begin to submit and surrender to him. Kind of eight areas of change. Eight areas that we see in scripture where I think he's inviting us to grow and become more and more like him. And what you'll see as we go through these eight areas is for some of these areas, if you've been following Jesus for any time at all, even just a few days, some of these areas God's already speaking to you about and that you really welcome, like yes, I wanna grow in that. And others of these areas you're gonna look at and you're gonna go, yeah, I wish you hadn't brought that up. But I think all these are important and it kind of involves like our entire life, like who we are, when everybody's looking, who we are when nobody's looking. Areas that I think God wants to change. So the first one is this, growing as a follower of Jesus, growing as a disciple, he wants to grow us in our experience and our worship of God. That's the first one. Experiencing and worship God, worshiping God. That as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, this is one of those things that he's really inviting me into, intentionally, consistently, even constantly engaging with God in such a way that I'm always opening myself up to deeper relationship with him and experience of his kingdom. Experiencing God. You know, I could tell you for days about how wonderful my wife Brenda is. Like, she's amazing. Like, I remember the first time meeting her, I was like playing drums in a church that I had just started going to. And then about like five minutes before the service would start, Brenda would come in with about 20 or 30, it seemed like 40 kind of young people. She was helping to lead them and she was teaching them about Jesus. And she'd come in with them and I'd think, that is a really rowdy bunch of young people. That's kind of cool. But that young woman who's leading them, She's pretty amazing. I could tell you story after story about my relationship with her, about how we got to know one another. But listen, none of those stories like hold a candle to experiencing Brenda. She's like a force of nature. She's an amazing woman. And it's like, I could write books about her, but you actually get with her in a room you actually spend time with her. You actually get to taste some of the cooking that she does. Like you get to you know, listen to her stories. You get to look into her eyes. Experiencing Brenda is really different than just hearing about Brenda from her dorky husband, right? 
It's the same thing about our relationship with God. We're meant to actually have an experience, an interactive. Uh, it's, it's called a personal relationship. It's, it's, it's meant to be this, this uh, uh, experience that we have with him. For when I first became a follower of Jesus, there were several times where I felt like I heard God's voice. I felt like I heard God speak to me about different things in my life. I told you a couple of those stories last night. And then along the way, I started like reading the Bible. I started like studying that. I actually went to a pretty conservative uh, college and seminary for a little bit, reading that stuff. And one of the things that they taught me along the way was that God didn't speak the same way he speaks today. Simon mentioned that, cessationism. They taught me that like God only did that for a little bit, but now he's got other ways of doing it. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need to hear God's voice. And I remember thinking at that time, like, how do you explain what happened to me when I first started following Jesus then? And the other thing I felt was, dang, I was born way too late. <laughs> like I wish I'd been born earlier, like when God was like talking before he developed, you know, like divine laryngitis. Like that would have been so much fun to get to hang out in those days, right? And the experience of God, sometimes we're so afraid of experience. I remember one guy standing up in front of a chapel and saying, like, we are so afraid of a wildfire, this is what he said, that we'd rather have no fire at all. And I thought, well, crap, I'm out of here. Because I'd rather have a lot of fire, right? That our relationship with Jesus isn't meant to be this calm, quiet, little church building thing. Our relationship with Jesus is meant to be in every single part of our lives and go to every single part of the universe. And I, and I love the way that this first part of discipleship is not just experiencing God, but it's worshiping him. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God. Worship, our idea of worship actually comes from several different concepts throughout history and it has to do with giving something great worth that it has huge value in my life you know it has to do with something that like like it has all the value it's not just singing songs this this whole group karaoke thing that Christians do like, it's wonderful, it's fun expressing our love to God using songs. Like, I'm a musician, I love doing that. But that's not like all of it is. That's just this simple expression. It's just the same way my relationship with Brenda isn't just about me telling her I love her, although I try to do that every day. But it's about the whole way I live my life with her. And God's invited us to worship him because it's the most healthy thing we can do. Sometimes people have asked me like, is this whole worship thing about just kind of hold up God's ego because his ego is kind of sagging a bit and he just needs to be told a lot how great he is? Is that how that works? And it's like, absolutely not. It's because he is the greatest thing in the universe, the one who created it and holds it all together, Colossians says, by even just the palm of his hand. It's because he's the greatest thing in the universe that we give him what he's worth and that actually helps us function in a healthy way. And this group thing that we do in worship, it does something to human beings that nothing else on the planet can do. 
That as we give ourselves to God fully and completely, and then we express that together in community, it's like a reorienting, it's like a, a resetting of the compass. That it actually shows us again and again and again, like the most, the most powerful, the most centered thing on the planet. You know, worship, biblically, is the most commanded human activity that we worship God. And again, not just with song, but with everything that we are and have. So this first part of discipleship is that we're meant to experience God. We're meant to worship him with absolutely everything that we've got. We increase our awareness of God in his kingdom. We keep dialing this stuff up. We talk to each other about it. We seek to know God more, uh, more deeply. We begin to apply scripture, not just read it and memorize it, but actually apply it and begin to live it in our daily lives. I have a really good friend who's a pastor in Alabama. And for a while, uh, his dad had moved in with him and his family. Uh, and his dad was incredibly sick. He needed several hours of care a day. And this friend of mine who's a pastor was really used to reading and studying the Bible, like, you know, for a couple hours every morning. And because of this life change, having his dad there, and then still pastoring a church and still doing the stuff that he was trying to do during the day, it had taken a lot of his Bible reading time. He wasn't able to spend nearly as much time in the scriptures as he liked to spend. And he was kind of processing that through with a couple of friends. And one of his friends made this comment. He said, you know, this guy's name is Bubba. Is that a great name or what? Bubba. He goes, you know, Bubba, there are seasons in your life where you really are meant to just pour yourself into the word. You're meant to read and memorize the word like, like you've never read it before. You're meant to study it. Like the scripture really is like a lamp unto our feet. God's word is so incredibly powerful. But there's also seasons of your life where you're meant to just live the word. And you're like doing the word as you care for your dad in a way that's like taking it and driving it deeper into your life. And so it's, it's not only reading the word, it's like applying it to our daily life, learning how to do that. That's the mark of a disciple, experiencing authentic, interactive relationship with God, dialogue with him is a part of this experiencing and worshiping God. Now I was teaching at a, at a men's conference at a, at a vineyard church in Ohio a couple of years ago. And uh, afterwards, one of, the one of the guys pulled me aside and he said, like, you talk about relationship with God as if like, you talk to him and he talks to you every day. And I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. He goes, you were talking about relationship with God, and I didn't even realize this, in the same way that you're talking about relationship with the people in your life that you can have dialogue with all the time. It's exactly right. That's, a, that's how our relationship with God is meant to be. Think about it for a second. When was the last time you felt like you heard God's voice? That you felt like he spoke to you? When was the last time? Think about it. Like, when was the last time? For me, it was this morning. One of the things that happened this morning was I had my first go at porridge. <laughs> I never had porridge before. It's amazing. <laughs> I put a little dollop of honey on there and, I, and it hit my taste buds and I'm like, God, thank you for taste buds. Taste buds are so amazing. Like you could have created all food to be just like fuel, like diesel fuel, like, you know, 
horrible, terrible, but like you gave food texture and, and beauty and, and even like the simple beauty of porridge. It was so cool. It was so different than an egg in my skillet. It was amazing. Experiencing and worshiping God, number one. Number two, beginning to partner with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that God will grow you in as a disciple of Jesus is partnering with the Holy Spirit, actively listening to the Holy Spirit and then taking action on what you're hearing. I love this passage out of Galatians 5. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. Keep in step with the Spirit is what old translations say. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's almost like there's this two-person dance going on. Have you guys ever like danced like old school where like you're holding on to somebody and you're dancing? Have you ever done that? Am I the only one? Have anybody ever done that? I know this dancing is fun, but like you just kind of do your own stuff. But like old school dancing, it's like somebody's leading and somebody's following. And that's the picture here in Galatians 5, that there's a dance throughout the whole world that's going on, God's leading and we get to follow. And he says, stay in step with the Spirit. Stay in step. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do that kind of dancing. I'm kind of a klutz. Like the whole time everybody else was learning how to dance, I was playing drums. And so I was just sitting down, you know, like pounding on things, which is really fun. And then all of a sudden somebody begins to teach me how to dance. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And it's that same way when you begin to follow the Holy Spirit. But we are meant to partner with what God's doing, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of love, the spirit of our Father, he's called throughout the scriptures. We're meant to partner with him every single moment of every single day. And here's something I've discovered. You'll never meet a person in whom God is not working. Everybody you meet, God's doing something. What if we could partner with him in those moments? Every moment of every day, I think we can. And as we grow in discipleship, God will begin to challenge us more and more and more to be awake, to pay attention every moment of every day to participate in what he's up to. We increasingly are able to hear and discern his voice. We're discerning where he's working and, and joining with him. We're checking in with our faith community, with our church, with the other followers of Jesus. We're checking in, we're listening to one another, we're listening to him together, and we're, and, and, and we're discovering the different ways that God has created us and wired us so we can participate with him. We're not all wired the same. We're all, not all meant to do it the same way. Remember last night, how Jesus worked with everybody differently. We're meant to do it, so we stay in step with him. Here's the third one, sacrificial service that out of the overflow of that experience of God, of that worship with God, of partnering with God, out of the overflow of God's love in our lives, like we pour that out to other people. We pour it out to other people. My command is this, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. There's this part of following Jesus where he says, he kind of raised the bar little bit by little bit. And at one point in here, he goes, if you're not doing what I command, you're not my follower anymore. He calls us to this obedience, which is sacrificial service, which is laying down our lives for one another. 
And you know what most of us, what I've discovered over the years, what most of us would like is to lay down our lives all at once in a glory of like a million dollars. Like picture your life like a million dollars and you just lay it all down at once. You think, there it is, there's my life. But what I've discovered along the way is that God invites us to lay down our lives at about a nickel at a time. Sometimes, sometimes like, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know what your coinage is called. <laughs> sometimes it's like a quarter. It's like a little bit of a dollar of a pound. It's like he just calls us to lay it down a little bit at a time. And we think, oh my gosh, I have to spend a nickel listening to this person. And I feel like God just invites us to do that. I got to spend this little bit doing this little job. I got to spend this little bit doing that. He never asks, very seldom, for the whole million dollars at once. But what he asks for is a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And it feels incredibly sacrificial. We think, wow, if I could just give it all at once, if I could go down in a flame of glory. And for a few people, he does that. But for most of us, he doesn't. He just invites us to do that. And it's incredibly painful as we go through that. Ephesians 2.10, Apostle Paul writes, we are God's handiwork. We're God's workmanship. We're God's work of art. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. It's like he's laid out the whole thing and he's inviting us to participate. Little bit by little bit by little bit. And so learning how to bless others with my words and with my deeds. You know, when I first started doing art, I felt like that that was really all about me. Like I'm an artist, this is sweet. And people would come and look at my work and they'd say, that's amazing. And I go, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And then along the way, as I'm following Jesus, he begins to tweak all of that in me. And he says, you know, Michael, the reason that I invited you to do art, the reason that I created you to be able to do this was because I want you to give your neighbor a thing of beauty, something that they could enjoy. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know what God's called you into career-wise as a way to actually like raise a family and pay some bills. I don't know what God's called you into, what he's given you to do. No matter what it is, it's a way to love your neighbor. It's a way to care for those who are around you. It's like he invites us into so many different ways of doing that and that becomes sacrificial service to us. And it doesn't just stick with our neighbors in a way to make a living. Like he calls us to do that with people who can't care for themselves over and over and over again. He calls us to sacrificially lay down our lives to break off oppression and injustice because of his kingdom and the way his kingdom is coming and has come. Like this sacrificial service then applies to absolutely everything. Here, here's something I discovered as a husband and as a dad. I know this is gonna come radical to some of you. There are no self-cleaning dishes in my house. 
Like no matter how many I sit right there by the kitchen sink, none of them clean themselves. And I'll never forget one day when God began to speak to me with three little kids and stuff going on everywhere and we're planting a church. God began to speak to me and said, you know that stuff you're studying about sacrificial service, about God changing your life? Why don't you get up off the chair and go sacrificially serve your family? Now we're talking like a penny at a time and clean some dishes. And I don't know about you guys, I'm slow, like with everything, right? And I thought, that seems painful. Like, why would I do that? Have you ever been there? And God invites us to serve and to love. One of the things I discovered along the way is that my wonderful wife, Brenda, that's her love language, is when I serve her, right? Like the whole relationship gets better. Like stuff improves in our lives as I begin to follow Jesus in this way. Sacrificial service. And then that, what follows that in terms of being a disciple of Jesus is what I would call generous living. I think that's number four, generous living. Faithfully investing all the stuff that God has given so that I can contribute to the advance of his kingdom. Simon mentioned fellows that, uh, and, and even couples that like decide to keep their standard of living at a certain level so that as their income increases, they have more to invest in the kingdom. I personally know several people who live off of 10% of what they bring in so they can give 90% away. And one of the couples I know, they started their very first year of marriage, they started just tithing, giving 10%, realizing that's kind of the baseline as a follower of Jesus. Like even the early church went beyond that as they began to share. Immediately as Christ gets into their lives, as the Holy Spirit is there, this whole generous living begins to overflow. And what they decided to do was every year that they were married, they're gonna add another percent to it. So their second year, it was like 11%, and their third year, it was 12%. And then as things increased in their lives, they learned how to keep their standard of living right where they could keep it. They were still comfortable, but they were sacrificing for the kingdom. And then a couple big things happened in their lives where they made significant amounts of money and immediately went to 90% and living off the 10. What would that look like for you? What might Jesus be inviting you into, like in your own life? I ride motorcycles. I love getting places on two wheels. I might not garden. I don't hear God's voice when I garden, ever. <laughs> because I just don't do it. But I hear God's voice all the time when I'm taking apart my motorcycle. And in Duluth, I got about three months where I can't ride. It's like sub-zero Fahrenheit. Like you get the 40 degrees below zero. And riding during that time on a motorcycle is really difficult just simply because it's hard to keep the bike upright. We go riding on other things like snowmobiles. It's a blast, right? And so in, that, in those summer months, I have to fast from riding my motorcycle. And I discovered that's really good for me because I take it all apart, I clean it, like I, just, I put it all back together. I like I use a toothbrush and I clean every little screw and put it back together. It's just so much fun. And over the years, there are motorcycles that I would have loved to ride. My friends had some really nice bikes. And every time I would pray and I go, God, can I ride something like that? Like that's really nice. And I even go sit on one in the shop. And it's like a lot more expensive bike than what I have. Now, every step of the way, I felt God said, yeah, you could do that. Or, here's something I'm doing in this family's life. 
here's what I'm doing over here. Here's what's going on over here. How might God speak to you the same way? How might God speak to you the same way? You know, we don't need everything we see. In fact, we don't even know we need it until we see it. Right? That's the way it works. That's the way our consumer culture lives. And what would it look like to be able to really honestly and authentically and actually enjoy saying no? No, I don't need that. What I'd really like to do is participate in what God's doing over here. Generous living. Using not only my abilities, not only my spiritual gifts, but all of my material things. And what would it look like to open up my life relationally? One of the things that I'm really involved in a lot in, the, in, in America is helping vineyard churches plant new churches. There are millions of people in our country that grew up like me that have never heard anything about the gospel. And so we are constantly helping our vineyard churches plant new churches, raising up leaders and, and sending people out. And every time a group goes out from a church, both groups kind of feel this pain and loss. Like, I'm not going to see my friends anymore. We just recently sent out a church plant because we had several, actually a few hundred people coming from a town that was like 30 miles away. And so we just said, hey, we're going to plant a church there. That pastor gets up, he shares his vision for what God's doing. He's been a guy, he's like one of my good friends. He'd been on staff with us for 12 years. Just a brilliant guy and his family, just amazing. We love them. And we had 50 to 60 really great leaders go with them and a couple hundred people. And the very next weekend, like we're in our place and like, like all these people that I'm used to seeing every day are gone. And I can be somewhat cold and insensitive. I'm like, ah, well, yeah, whatever. But sweet Brenda was just crying, going, I miss some of our friends. This is so hard. Being generous and sending people out, blessing what God's doing in them, and then opening your heart to new relationships and new friendships is always, always challenging for us, isn't it? And so being generous with our hospitality, being generous with our love, being generous with the gifts that God has given to us, being generous with the things that we have. If you're faithful with little things, Jesus says, you'll be faithful in larger ones, but if you're dishonest, if you're stingy, if you're holding on in little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. Next, living in obedience to Jesus means actually that we will do the main thing he told us to do. Again, Simon quoted it, Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Welcoming them into Trinitarian community. And teaching them to obey everything I've told you, Jesus said. It's like the main job that he has given every follower of Jesus is making disciples. He's helping other people grow in this thing. That's what you and I are invited into. That's what we're actually called to do. How have you, just turn this inward for a second, how have you in your current life given yourself to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus? Do you realize that's your job? He says he has all authority in heaven and earth 
bookend of promises and that he'll be with us until the job's completely done. And the job is to go make disciples. Go, make disciples. He doesn't say stay, make disciples. He says, as you go, make disciples. And that's for every single one of us. And so what I do, one of the things that we've done in Duluth over the years is we've said, listen, I will spend time and help disciple anybody who wants to be discipled, but I have an assignment for you the very first week that you're going to turn around and give it away. And so if I'm spending time with you, you're going to be spending time with other people. Your ticket in the door is you do your homework, and you're doing that. You want to grow as a disciple? Have somebody who's training and teaching you, and then have others that you're giving that away to. You don't grow unless you do that. And then personal transformation. I'm going to cover these last two really fast. Personal transformation, experiencing change in my attitudes and behaviors as a result of my relationship with Jesus, my relationships with other people. There should never come a point in your, in your life following Jesus where you're not personally growing. And so I'm constantly looking for ways to grow. Again, I've been doing this for 41 years following Jesus, and I've been married for 30. Man, the last couple months in my marriage, Brenda and I have grown so much as we've pressed into some areas that needed to be pressed into. Like, I actually learned something. I was reading a book, and I, and I, I was on an airplane going to meet with some other pastors, and I circled this part of the book because the lady was saying, she said this, here's the exact quote. She said, the conversations that you have are the relationship. And I thought to myself, the conversation is the relationship? When Brenda says, Michael, I want to talk about our relationship. I'm like, let's just have the relationship. Why do we have to talk about it? <laughs> and I read that book and I'm like, wait, the conversation? Is there? I just thought the conversation was like this tool we were using, but it's not the real relationship. I thought sex was the relationship. The conversation is the relationship? Like it blew me away. I came home and I showed that to Brenda. I go, is this true? And she goes, duh. Right? Gentlemen, I might have saved you years of trouble here. <laughs> the conversation is like, so now, like, I'm learning how to be gratuitously authentic with Brenda. Have you ever seen a movie and thought that's like gratuitous sex and gratuitous violence and gratuitous horror? Like, it's just there to be there. Like now, with Brenda, I'm learning how to be really authentic with everything I'm thinking and feeling like all the time. I, it used to be that she would share something and I would ask her more and then she would share and I'd ask her more and she would share and I'd ask her more and then I went to bed frustrated because she never asked me. And so I changed it because I watched her and her girlfriends. The conversation is the relationship. So now she shares and then I share. And then she shares and then I share. We just did this. We were sitting at the bar the other night. We're going back and forth and I go, this is fun. And she goes, this is relationship, you idiot. It was great. Always be in a process of personal transformation. What's the stuff that God's working in you right now and the way he's inviting you to grow? You should always be able to list that. Like, where are you at on a growth curve? If you think that you're like way up here on your growth curve in terms of your personal transformation and relationship with Jesus, like you're in a bad spot. I always picture myself way back here on the growth curve. I got a long ways to go. But hey, that's me. You could be just like Jesus. Authentic relationship is the next one. Actually interacting with other people in a way that like reflects the heart of God towards them. You, you know uh, Matthew 7, we talk about as the golden rule. 
do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the Law and the Prophets. Paul writes, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Authentic relationships with other people. Many of us walk by other people and we treat them like they're a, a mannequin in a store just holding clothes. Many of us do that. Especially the people that are wearing the clothes that we don't like. But learning to see the presence of God, the face of God. Learning to sense what God's doing in other people and then really being authentic with them, entering into relationship, actually being there. You realize you're not really with other people when you're in the same room doing this. You're not really with them. You're with someone else, somewhere else. But to actually be with other people, it requires like face time and communication and authentically sharing even our greatest fears and our deepest needs. It's like it's a part of being a follower of Jesus. It's a part of real true discipleship. And then you're taking that sometimes really scary step, that risk of saying, hey, whatever's going on in your life, could I pray for you right now? And it's really hard to pray for people while you're checking Instagram, even though my Instagram account is amazing. It's really tough to do both things at the same time, isn't it? To really engage what God is doing with other people while you're doing that. And here's the last one. It's community transformation. What happens together in relationship with one another as we begin to follow Jesus and allow him to change all these areas of our lives, it not only changes our relationships with one another and our family, but it begins to impact the whole of community. Like my biggest heart when we planted the church in Duluth was that we would affect the spiritual temperature. We would, we, we would participate in God's redemptive plan for like all of the upper Midwest in America. Hey, you're planting a little church in a little town that was kind of depressed. Yeah, but what if we could affect the whole region? Because the followers of Jesus, their lives are changed and they begin to have impact everywhere. I think we can do that. I think that's exactly what God's calling us to do. And so those are elements of discipleship and it is now time for your meal. <laughs>